season is coming! This is the first proper Goo episode of 2015! It is. Thank you for pressing play on our show. We have a release date. Season 5, April 12th. April 12th. Yeah, I guess we should be careful when we say we have a release date for the season <laughs> of the television show that we knew was going to be happening in April. We know exactly what day it is. Breaking news! We don't news. have a release date for anything else. Could have been March. Could have been the last day of March like it was Could've last year. Could have been the last day of March. Could have been the first day of May, but it's not. It's April 12th. <laughs> April 12th. April 12th, US. April 13th, UK. Um, other days in other places. But I think that's the right way to start off 2015 mm-hmm. on this podcast mm-hmm. in particular, that we have a release date. We know what it is. Premiere night, we're going to get all our parties together oh, yes. you know, across the US. And uh, we're throwing these big galas just in all <laughs> these different cities. Uh, more information to come. <laughs> Absolutely it's been uh, discussed. not. But yeah, it, I'm excited though. I'm excited. Season five, we've talked about it. We know things are going to be different for book readers. We've yearned for it. It's going to be, I'm going to get nervous. I'm going to start to sweat a little bit, no. I think, as we get closer to a uh, <laughs> premiere date because I haven't been in this position since uh, season one where I had no idea what was going to happen. And uh, Kate, I know that uh, you're in a similar position you knew what was going to happen coming in, but now you're in kind of uncharted waters a little bit. And mm-hmm. we know that on April 12th, things may uh, start to uh, come across our TV that uh, we haven't read on paper. I know. I'm excited about it. I do think that I'm going to have to get my own HBO Go subscription, though. And I think they're changing it this year so you can just get HBO Go on demand, right? Mm-hmm. So you don't have to have Comcast anymore. Oh, good. We'll be launching with the new season. Yeah. So I don't have to leech off Zach's because we can't watch them at the same time and we would bump each other off. So, you, you, But you have to understand, though, Game of Thrones was the most pirated show of 2014. You have to continue that trend in 2015. I don't know. I, I don't like piracy, not because I'm, not, I'm like ethically opposed to it necessarily, but because I'm just too damn lazy. I don't want to have to find like the right format and then somehow magically beam it to my television. It's because you don't like Johnny Depp. That's what must mm. be what it is. That That's is what a, I heard. Have you guys seen the trailers for that terrible Mordecai? Mordecai? No, oh but I've God. seen yes. the promo campaign. <laughs> Holy God. The promo campaign is pretty abysmal on its own, but the trailers are just, there's nothing, there's nothing appealing going on there. Mordecai oh, oh, himself has a Twitter account. They keep tweeting things like, this is going to be great for Downton Abbey fans. And they'll like use the Downton Abbey <laughs> hashtag. And I'm like, this is not related to Downton Abbey in, in any sense of the imagination. Um, so yeah, Mordecai. How the fuck did it? Oh, um, Johnny Depp. Right. I do like Kate Johnny drops Depp. an F-bomb. I'm God. crossing that <laughs> yeah, off my that's bingo no. card. Bingo square. That's, no! that's my bingo square. To those of you playing at home. Well, First I'm one. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, everybody. <laughs> I've got a foul mouth. We know. <laughs> we we know. We also have the show going to IMAX theaters, which oh, I believe marks cool. the first time a television show has done that, which is pretty it's pretty awesome. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So they're airing uh what is the last two episodes right. of season four and the trailer for season five. It'll be right. the watchers on the wall and then the children and it will be playing at select IMAX theaters the twenty third awesome. through the twenty ninth of this month. Yeah. That'll be really cool. I want to see the children of the forest or whoever they are lob the firebomb <laughs> at the bones in IMAX. Look, that was cool and everything, but the Watchers on the Wall. That's what I I would want to see in IMAX. Oh yeah. Well, you get just an amazing episode. Degree panorama. Start to finish, and then yeah. the, the all the hype for the season five trailer. That's going to be excellent yeah. to be. And I'm sure it'll be viewable after that time, hopefully soon. And then, of course, as we sit here uh, recording, 
the Golden Globes are this evening mm-hmm. and uh, Game of Thrones nominated for Best Drama Series up against The Affair, uh, Downton Abbey, The Good Wife, and House of Cards. Mm. Wow. Mm. Thankfully, Breaking Bad <laughs> is over. Did it finally end, though? Because I think they were still eligible for like awards six months no, after they're done. Ended. Hopefully this uh, allows some breathing room. Uh, for Game of Thrones. I don't know if they're nominated for any other categories. doesn't look like they are, uh, but uh, it would be cool for them to pick it up. Obviously, Peter Dinklage has won in the past, and uh, they deserve it. So we'll keep an eye on that, and I'm sure talk more about it should they win uh, on next week's episode. The question is, is this the year of the Game of Thrones Golden Globe? Ooh, is this it's got to be. Right? I don't know. I have to say I'm a big House of Cards fan. Yeah. I don't know any of the other shows really that well. Downton Abbey is the only show recently that has caused such obsession in me that I want to, I, and I have made fan art of it. Like I'm, (laughs) I am fucking obsessed with Downton Abbey. Can we talk about Downton Abbey on this podcast? I want to watch it. Oh, it's so good. Ah! It's not, it's one of those shows too, that I think even me, I, I'm not super into Jane Austen kind of shows that are like who oh, your lordship knows that i couldn't possibly i yes, couldn't possibly yes my love cool certainly my lady like that that kind of stuff doesn't necessarily appeal to me but i watched down snabby on the the behest of a friend and i'm so glad that i did and just tore through season five which is about to start airing in the u.s i, I did pirate that um, <laughs> I, I needed i needed it i needed it um so yeah down snabby is just tremendous this is anybody who's listening who's a Downton Abbey fan. I declare 2015 to be the year of Mr. Carson and Mrs. Hughes. And I think that we can all agree with that. Mm. Uh, I certainly can, having no idea who either of those other people are. <laughs> Just trust me on this. Today on the show, some people you may be familiar with. Yes. I hope so. Hope Kingslayer. So. This chapter really gives us some insight on that whole Kingslayer business. Mm. I was very excited to meet these two chapters head on. And I'm, I'm really excited about the fact that they're in the same episode. This is this is going to be cool. Yeah. Yeah, completely agree. So with the Jamie chapter, we have obviously the bath scene. With the Tyrion chapter, we have the arrival of Oberyn Martell, a.k.a. the Red Viper mm-hmm. at King's mm-hmm. Landing. AKA Just super, Red. super big moments. And knowing where we are in the book, I mean, we're not even, or we're roughly a little past a quarter of the way through the book right now. Like so much has happened and so much is still vamping and building up for what is not only what is about to come, but the aftermath of what is about to come. It's really cool to see like in the Oberyn arrival chapter, um, that is obviously uh, talking more about what ended up being in season four with, you know, when uh, Oberyn gets to really shine. But seeing it here placed before the Red Wedding is pretty cool. Just in general, these chapters, for me, after finally reading these and finally having them on the show, I can say I understand the the fervor and everyone's excitement to see these two particular moments captured on screen. The Jamie Brienne conversation in the bath and, and certainly introducing Oberyn Martell and how the ways it was different kind of affected people in different ways. I feel like finally we're there. And, and there's so much more to both chapters than was captured on the screen. I feel like I, I just have to mention the conversation and the dinner with Roose Bolton was awesome. Yeah. Yes. I realized that the story had to be shifted in different ways to allow it to flow freely on the screen. And that makes complete sense. But we've spoken so much about how Roose Bolton and his affiliations were 
sort of in question, just judging by what we already know. And they were kind of giving us hints because we know things that come from the future. But I feel like this chapter just derailed it. Him being so comfortably in Rob's service, even though we understand it's for the point of the game, he still was very much firmly planted. And I feel like if there was any people questioning themselves moving forward, this might have helped to uh, shake the trail loose a little bit on the way, which was really smart, I thought. No kidding. Yeah, there's no question. And there's even a moment, uh, internal monologue Jamie has where he says, does Brienne notice the game that Roose Bolton is now playing Mm -hmm. with Jamie? And it just goes to show you uh, how much groundwork was laid leading up to the Red Wedding. Because, of course, uh, you know, as a reader going through it a second time, you see a lot of things that you missed out the first time around. And you guys obviously have seen the TV show, so you know what's to come. So you can right. also pick up on these things. But I don't know that you get a very clear picture of Bolton's allegiance and, and which way it's kind of swaying at this point. But there are definitely hints that he has been playing both sides a bit. You know, he's he's married to a fray. Yep. Uh, and he's been having conversations with them. Uh, Fair Walda? No, no, no. Fat Walda. Fat Walda. And I guess having more than conversations. Worth her weight in silver. Yeah, yep. exactly. You can tell there's there's an uncomfortable nature to the situation with Jamie. And he wants to resolve it as best as he can uh, because he knows what Tywin Lannister is capable of. And uh, I think we'll see this play itself out more throughout the course of the story, but uh, I agree 100% with you, Zach. The the dinner with Roos was... uh, was definitely fun to read. Well, I know we'll get back to to the bath scene, but I just wanted to comment on, in general, the character the development that happens and the the drama that we're seeing unfold on page. This is what we read books for. This is what we enjoy stories for. What Jamie went through in the bath and how he eventually fainted um, mm-hmm. and put him into this strange physical state. You know, the job of everyone involved, including Kyburn, was to get him prepared and fitted. And, you know, Brienne's helping. She's like, I'll help him get dressed. I'll help him shave. Like, they, they're just trying to please the person who's in charge at this settlement. And that's so interesting to me that even with his status, he's still very much a prisoner and they want to please Bruce Bolton. So they prepare him and he's immediately put in a mindset i can't show this guy how weak i am and so the whole dinner is not only interesting but it's fraught with jamie being very sick almost in a way the entire time while he's trying to be jamie lannister to another lord Mm -hmm. yeah yeah table manners gets brought up (laughs) and uh the rules of etiquette uh and to which jamie responds no we're your hostages we're not your hosts or you're, you're you're not our host we're your hostages so it's um it's questionable as to what I don't know, seeing that issue brought up again just really informs the reader. Hey, there are rules that we're supposed to follow. Yeah, Bruce Bolton mentions that the rules of hospitality still apply in the North. Oh, especially to the Northmen. I think this is the chapter where my opinion of Jamie turned completely. The previous chapters with Brienne have um, improved my opinion of Jamie. I remember when I was reading this, I was like, I'm kind of getting fond of Jamie, but he is such a still such a bastard all the things the things that he's done starting off camera with him killing the king and he's got this name the kingslayer and that's i mean that's a scary name and then he goes into this whole story about why he killed the king and you're like oh crap then you have to reevaluate everything you know about Jamie like why well, what his motivation aside from were. the fact that he threw a young kid out of a window yeah right. that that is something that we did see 
um, firsthand. So that's, that's, but I, I think even before that happens, you have this opinion of him that he killed the king. Like they call him the Kingslayer even before that. And this, that's just his, his name that people whisper behind his back or to his face or whatever. Um, so you, you already know he's a bad dude. And then he pushes a kid out a window and you're like, well, that doesn't improve my opinion mm-hmm. of you. But let's be honest here though, too. I know a lot is put on Jamie because he was a member of the King's Guard. He has sworn an oath, obviously, to protect King Eris. Mm-hmm. But with that being said, what was Tywin going to do with the king? What would Robert have done with the king? Right. It's not like they were going to allow him to take the black and go to the wall. That's my point. They were going to kill him. Yeah. Like, I, I, I think Jamie just saved everybody a whole lot of time and saved the entire population of King's Landing, apparently, <laughs> from getting blown up by a crazy guy. He placed these bombs on, on, under most of King's Landing, like the Dragonfire caches were all over town. Mm-hmm. And he wasn't yeah. gonna he wasn't gonna let King's Landing go down without destroying it first and salting the earth, essentially. So Jamie knew that because he was he wouldn't have known it had he not been part of the King the King's Guard because he was privy to all these private conversations. Um and using that knowledge he made the best choice he could for the the good of the people of King's Landing and never told anybody about it. And Brienne asks him why. Why didn't why doesn't anybody know about this? If it were true, somebody would know. And he was like, You really think Ned Stark would have listened to me? Do you mm-hmm. really think he would have believed anything that came out of my mouth at that point? He had already judged me. I knew it was gonna be a waste of time. So I kept that shit to myself. Like, and he didn't he didn't go for glory. He didn't insist on his innocence. He's just let people call him Kingslayer and Oathbreaker for the last however many years, and he's He's kept it all to himself. Probably wouldn't have even have told Brienne just now if he wasn't kind of lightheaded and feeling goofy. Yeah. So I just I just love that. This is this this is his deep dark secret is that he's a good guy in some <laughs> in some ways in some parts of his history. Besides, you know, he tried to kill a child. That's not super great. Um, but this particular act of his was entirely selfless. Yeah. It's kind of impressive. I do think it's important though, and there's a bit of the old Jamie in this statement when he's talking with Brienne and uh, at the same time though I think it's symbolic right he says you ought to be pleased I've lost the hand I killed the king with the hand that flung the Stark boy from that tower the hand I'd slide between my sister's thighs to make her wet and it's symbolic that he loses that hand the hand that he's done so much ill with Mm -hmm. over the course of his lifetime Mm -hmm. he no longer has and I think in a weird way not saying that that is what allows him to change, but the fact that he's essentially cut this, or not he didn't do it, but that he's lost this part of him, mm. I think allow allows for his change in character. It was his evil hand. <laughs> I feel like the mechanics of this chapter allowed for the final transformation of Jamie in our eyes, though. The, the use of the bath and the use of the hot water. The chapter mm-hmm. begins, Harrenhal's bathhouse was a dim, steamy, low-ceiling room filled with great stone tubs. When they led Jamie in, they found Brienne seated in one of them, scrubbing her arm almost angrily. Like we, we enter the chapter in an already bashful state, and there's already plenty of walls that have previously been struck up between the two gone. Enter Jamie into the hot water, and we start seeing the limitations of his physical state mingle in with what he's talking about and we get this sonnet of a story from him we get this mm-hmm. entire account of what happened with Eris, and uh he's revisiting his old stories in a sense and giving us more of the d 
details that he wouldn't have if he would been in more of a cocky state, like mm-hmm. if he would have had his hand, for example. Well, it's, it's it's heavily symbolic too because he's scrubbing away the mud that is caked on him. Is really like, and he's at the same time with Brienne, he's scrubbing away his secrets and the layers of you know uncertainty. There, he's coming clean in 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 kind of two ways. Do you think it was important Agreed. for him to? tell this story to Brienne because he wanted her good opinion of him or was he just confessing a secret I think it's a little bit of both and it was accomplished by the bathwater mm-hmm. you know like it, there was an excuse for him to be more upfront with her than he than he's been there was an excuse for him like the fact that they were both naked and it appealed to him I think played a part in his openness with her mm-hmm. he needs a friend and he clearly achieves it when she ends up being the one who, you know, takes care of him after he passes out. That's the interesting part. I feel like him passing out out of conscious and reawakening at a new place was almost our mechanic within the book of the reawakening of Jamie. We entered with her being stubborn and the usual Jamie Brienne to him. And then we mm-hmm. ended that encounter with her carrying him and offering to help wash him. He's mm-hmm. He's completely endeared her i think absolutely but only if she could hear his internal monologue which is still a little rotten i have to say yeah but i think that that jamie does really make part of his transformation in this chapter but you still have pieces of him that remain that you that you've kind of gotten to know over the first two and a half books right Mm -hmm. he's he still hasn't completely changed but at the same time I think he just had enough. He was he he is very vulnerable in this moment, and he has just had enough of being called Kingslayer. Mm-hmm. He says, "Why is it that no one names Robert Oathbreaker? He tore apart the uh, the realm. Yet I'm the one with shit for honor." Mm-hmm. They do call Robert Usurper. To be fair, to be fair, I, I think Brienne though is a little jaded. Uh, at the same time, you know, he, she says Robert did all he did for love, and then Jamie's response is. <laughs> Robert did all he did for pride, a cunt, and a pretty face. I think it's all about people's perception. And and Jamie, to the point that was made earlier, has not done anything over the years to make it known that what he did was actually for the good of the realm. I'm sure that's like there's some sort of honor in that, right? Because he's keeping his, his oath, after all, to not divulge the king's secrets. That's actually what he says when she says, why did you not tell anybody? I mean, after he talks about Ned, you know, taking one look at him, he says, you know, we do not divulge the king's secrets. He's actually, I think he enjoyed being called Kingslayer at first because it reminded him that what he did was was honorable, you know, in the end, preventing everything from being burned to the ground. I mean, not only did he kill the king, but he ended up spending a little bit of time after the fact, making sure that the pyromancers didn't go through with their plan anyway. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was the cool. That was right? really the coolest part. That was really the coolest part of this chapter is, is reading that, I think, how he hunted them down. That's interesting. Mm-hmm. Another tool in, in shifting Brienne's point of view. Yeah, I mean, he made sure that, I mean, I guess it's not specifically stated, but whether or not there are still like hidden caches of wildfire down beneath you know because because jamie was told kind of where all of them are yeah in this chapter we learned that he was basically side by side during this entire process because the king wanted him to be close as he was the son of tywin lannister and tywin's Mm -hmm. allegiance was questionable because he wasn't answering the call i just find that interesting that not only did jamie do what he did because he felt like he needed to but he was very 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 aware of the entire situation you know it's interesting because we get two real um glimpses of old 
Tyrion, uh, old Tywin Lannister in each of these chapters. You know, here you get this, um, this guy who is not coming to aid and, you know, ends up coming and fighting for himself and, and saving, you know, kind of saving his own family and that kind of thing. And in the next chapter, you get this, this story of this man who is said to have ruled, you know, the whole kingdoms over Eris. And it's just like, well, who, like, what was their relationship like? It's very interesting, I think, to think about past Tywin Lannister. Mm-hmm. I, I love every glimpse we get. Into- Versus the loving Tywin Lannister that we <laughs> yeah hear we hear tell in of Tyrion's chapter in the Tyrion mm-hmm. thing. Mm-hmm. It's interesting to see. I don't know. Past past Tywin was like totally a different dude. There's also a lot of history uh, that we learn. Uh, obviously, we know what happened to Rhaegar uh, at the hands of Robert, mm-hmm. uh, but the the backstory that we get here uh, from Jamie. He says, when the word reached court, Eris packed the queen off to Dragonstone with Prince Viserys. Princess Elia would have gone as well, but he forbade it. Somehow he had gotten it in his head that Prince Lewin must have betrayed Rhaegar on the trident. So uh, we have really the reasoning behind why Elia was still there. Mm-hmm. You know, it was it was the distrust of the Martells. Right. And it's interesting that in the next chapter, we now have... Uh, Oberyn show up to avenge really uh, the death of his sister. And and so, you know, again, the chapters, it seems as, as we often do these chapters in pairs that they're, that they're tied together. And these two definitely are at least in this aspect. Yeah. It's interesting to see that the, the actions of Eris have so much of a ripple effect on the day to day of like, the modern day King's Landing and the modern day Westeros and the mm. fact that his, his decision to keep Aaliyah in, um, in King's Landing is what brings Oberyn and like, oh, I don't know. It's really interesting to me to to think about the, the six degrees of separation of, of the events that are happening now and the ones that happened just previous to these, the beginning of this. Yes. Book. There's no Kevin Bacon though. No, not yet. <laughs> Not Meanwhile, yet. he's left alone in King's Landing while so much of his court, so much of his trusted people like Rhaegar, for example, are gone handling things in this war, getting, God knows, whispered in his ear. And these decisions mm-hmm. are coming in, you know, just not trusting the Martells for one. And mm-hmm. the way that that shifted, like you said, has such a, a ripple effect on what's happening now. Not only yeah. what was happening then, just just the entire situation with the Pyromancers, I feel like may not have happened if... Uh, other people would have been in King's Landing at the moment. There would have definitely been other people seeing what was happening rather than just Jamie and the pyromancers. Yeah. And you know, Varys is to blame a lot for a lot of what went down, as it turns out. That's, um, yeah, that's Varys, what we learn. Varys is like, I want to say worm tongue and whispering in the king's ear, right? If that's a proper reference. Yeah. I've only that it was a long time ago. But uh, it, the just being the fact that Varys helped Eris to hunt down the people who had betrayed or were not loyal, helped him to find the spies. Varys really made, like, fortified his own um, power at that point, it just seems like, by hunting down all of the other spies. No matter what his own intentions were, uh, at that point, he was responsible for a lot of burnings. And uh, you can't, you kind of can't get behind that. It's just like, Varys, you did terrible things. Like, Eris was the Mad King, and you supported him. To I wonder, better yourself. Yeah, I wonder what his end game was back then. Yeah, that's. I really questioned that too. I was reading. I was like, "What was he yeah. doing?" It's a great question. It's. It, I want to know it too. You know, is it just that thirst for power? 
you know, that, that he could have control over the realm through Eris and Eris was willing to listen to everything uh, that he had to say, though it's noted that the one time that he didn't, when he <laughs> opened the gates for Tywin Lannister to come through, it was actually Grandmeister Pycelle mm-hmm. who convinced him to do that. And we know that Pycelle has such loyalty to the Lannisters. Um, mm. At least we've learned that through you know the, what we've read so far. And uh, I've wondered often if that has put Varys and Pycelle at odds. They don't seem to be, at least from what we've read, uh, but one would wonder kind of what that relationship is like. If you had to name who you think Varys is truly in his heart loyal to in current in current times, like contemporary to what's happening in Storm of Swords right now, it seems like he has shown loyalty to the Targaryens to some extent. Like he communicates with Illyrio and um, helps plan moves to support Daenerys, but then also he helps Tyrion escape after he murders Tywin, which seems to be pro-Lannister. Like, what? what is, where do his loyalties lie? Could it be with people more than family? Could he, like, maybe he, like, sees all these blurred, he blurs the family lines, like, he thinks Daenerys would be a good ruler, although he doesn't know her. He know we know he thinks Tyrion is a is a good guy who could save the realm or whatever. It could be exactly what quote the realm needs. So I think that's, I think he likes Tyrion, but not necessarily all Lannisters. Like mm. his loyalty is to Tyrion because he knows that Tyrion could be good for the realm, but that's a very specific, it's not all the Lannisters. Maybe he feels guilt for the, um, for having his King be betrayed um, in some way, maybe that influences whether like who he trusts or who he backs. Maybe mm. he thinks that because Eris fell, he should back the other, the only remaining Targaryen. For the longest time, it seemed like he was loyal to the Targaryens. But as we've seen the events unfold in King's Landing, contemporarily speaking, the fact that he knew that the murder was happening with Joffrey is a pretty clear indicator that I think he's just <laughs> f you to the to the Lannisters. I don't believe he's loyal to anyone other than himself. I think that that at the end of the day is what it boils down to with people like Baelish yeah. and someone like himself, even though he, he helped Tyrion escape. I think that we're seeing a weakness that he has spoken of in the past uh, come to shape. I think that we've seen the friendship between the two of them grow. And I think that his helping Tyrion was just sort of an addendum on top of what he knew he already had to do, which was leave because everything happened in King's Landing the way that it did. And he needed to go. And also Tyrion, knew so much about his inner workings and uh, about how much he was doing in the background as well. So being that close to Tyrion during that happening, I think is what led him to assist Tyrion's leaving because Tyrion being there would not be good for him either. He's been behind the assassination or like at least supporting in the background, having full knowledge of the assassination. Yeah. Of, of at least three notable people, basically three Kings. If you count Tywin as an effective King, um, so yeah, it's like Eris, Joffrey, and Tywin. Ver- Varys has, has been either actively supporting or passively supporting those actions. So I wonder if he's just an anarchist, like, or if if what he sees is not the grand game, but he's like, I I'll just back the winning the winning hand. I see where the odds exactly. are shifting now, and so I'm gonna. So like, he's just chaotic neutral. Is his <laughs> his particular character alignment? Yeah, 
it, it's hard to get a read on him, though Eris was, as Eric likes to say, crazier than a shithouse rat. Mm-hmm. So I, I don't know if there was another Targaryen that was in power, if he, it would have been different. Right. I, I, and if you look at the fact that all, all these other people have kind of fallen post Eris and, and his reign, you could make the argument even still that uh, he supports the Targaryens because the only way to get them back in power is to take out those who have seized it. Mm-hmm. And... There's a lot clearly that takes place beyond where we are right now, and I don't want that to necessarily influence my decision. But I would say that at least where we are right now, I agree with um, you know what Zach said that he serves himself. Yeah, he's mm-hmm. doing what he needs. He knows what he wants, and he's doing what he needs to do to get by with what he wants. You might subscribe to the fact that the idea that Tyrion is a secret Targaryen. And that by supporting, <laughs> supporting, no, yeah, Tyrion has to be all Lannister, otherwise T- uh, Tywin would have tossed him over the edge. I there's there's a a theory a that's a, it's a little bit out there, but that um, Eris impregnated Eris, I think Eris impregnated Tywin's wife, and um, that Tyrion might be half target, but it's a little too convenient. It's supported by some stuff that just came out in that that Westeros guidebook. Oh, interesting! Um, and there's 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 a little bit a little bit of uh, of evidence that might carry into it, but I don't know. I'm still I'm still basting that one in my mind juices. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Massive betrayal for Tywin's wife, who apparently they loved each other so much. Right, but there was also talk of the fact that it, it was Eris, right? It, I believe so. Yeah, basically was a player he was for lack of a better term. he was gross he was a philanderer just like robert like he this is this appears to be a, a theme with the kings mm. in uh in mm. king's landing and what joffrey planned to do too he was like i can have anybody i want because i'm the yeah. king so this is just what the kings do but yeah um eris was was uh he liked to put his hands on his his queen's handmaids he liked to get it on with them and that was a tywin's wife there's and apparently she she was banished by the queen um because her husband the queen's husband was looking at her too much or something so yeah and then years later after she'd been married to tywin and had jamie and cersei already they came to visit king's landing and Eris, Eris said something. Maybe it wasn't Eris. I think it was Aegon. It was the, whoever was before. It was Eris. Was it Eris? Okay. Um, yeah. But Eris said something to Tywin about how he didn't appreciate his gorgeous wife or something. And Tywin was like, um, excuse me. And then nine months later, Tyrion was born. <laughs> so. And then nine, long story short, nine yeah. months later, Tyrion was born. Yeah. That's funny. That's interesting. Um, getting back to what Jamie was, you know, confessing though in the bath in this chapter, um, just learning that Eris truly believed that he would be burned to death and then reborn as a dragon, that that was something that was consciously in his belief system and that that was why he didn't fear putting the entire town to flame, um, really shows the necessity for him to be taken out. I'm just saying there are White Walkers. People can get reborn as dragons. <laughs> I know it sounds far-fetched, but there are White Walkers. And mm, who knows? But is this not meant to be like... To show how crazy he actually was. Oh, for I think, sure. I think so, but you know, let's take everything into context. Yeah. What the hell is a Lord of Light? What is that? It's true. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. If if Eris had died by flame, maybe he would have been reborn. Fire cannot kill the dragon. <laughs> but Why instead, not? he didn't. He didn't he die like running away from Jamie and crying and pooping, pooping his pants. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He uh, had some 
irritable bowel syndrome. Uh, the prunes. Yeah. Maybe just eating some prunes. Recently. So I, I just love that line, though, uh, and it was in the TV show, By What Right Does the Wolf Judge the Lion? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. He did a much better job of that than I just did, but... Uh, I thought the delivery was sound. No, you're, you're great. I also like there's, there's two different <laughs> there's two different parts in this chapter where Jamie is... Um, clearly showing some some signs of having feelings for Brienne despite his his better judgment and how gorgeous his his lover is that he mm. keeps thinking about how fond how fondly he remembers her body but a couple times he he gets he gets a little bath boner when he sees Brienne walk out of the tub and he's mm. like whoa I'm really um, hunger really is the best spice and then later <laughs> he's he's telling her this whole story and she's just staring at him and he's like well come on Come kill me or kiss me or slap me or tell me I'm a liar or whatever. But he throws kiss me in there and I was like, ooh. Because <laughs> this is my this is my OTP. This is Jamie Jamie Yeah, no, I noticed um, he slid that in there. Yeah. She didn't, she didn't say anything. No, she did not acknowledge it. Um, and like, I think she has better sense than that. But she does develop a fondness for him eventually, as we've seen in the show. A lot mm-hmm. of longing, longing glances at each other. We don't know until the end of the chapter, but they're about to be pulled apart from each other. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. Crazy old yeah. Roos Bolton. Oh, uh, this, you know, this conversation with Roos, it's, you're talking about how tactically sound Jamie is versus Brienne, who might not understand what's going on. But um, Jamie has a really brilliant line I wanted to mention about Rob when Roos Bolton announces that Rob has been wed. Um, it says, Jamie almost, Jamie felt almost sorry for Rob Stark. He won the war on the battlefield and lost it in a bedchamber. Poor fool. Yeah, he knows. Like, he Jamie knows, knows it's over. Instantaneously, yeah. yeah. Right yeah. away knows it's absolutely over. Yeah. Do you think he knows the extent of what is going to happen? Or do you just think he knows that Rob has put himself in a situation that he just cannot get himself out of? Yeah, I think I think it's yeah. I think well, he, it. yeah. I think he knows that the Freys can, are the, the largest part of Rob's army. And that by fucking them over, he's really fucked himself over. So yeah, I don't think he knows that he's going to be assassinated, but no. um, I think he knows that the the war's over. Rob doesn't have any any more force to contend with if the phrase pull out. Roos is talking about um, in his whole conversation. He's talking about the Karstarks and where they're at, and sort of other bannermen that have gone home or separated from Riverrun. And on top of this, you have this change in wedding plans to where Edmure is is wedding a Frey. And it just, it's, it's a bad idea. And if Jamie were freed right then and there and had a choice of which direction to go, he would not be going to the twins. That's true. I think that's fair to say he would just be, well, he would just be going to King's Landing anyway. But, um, I think he's super smart about this. He knows that Rob is, is as good as dead at this point. Well, I th- yeah. I mean, Jamie's, Jamie's been around a few, a few wars and a few <laughs> yeah. kings getting deposed. A few people have died so. near him. Yeah, he's he knows I think he he knows the warning signs and he is his father's son. He can spot a bad strategy from a mile away, I'm sure. Meanwhile, we have Fargo Hope bouncing around the countryside <laughs> um, trying to figure out Spittin'. who he should pledge. I don't know what he's trying to do. It says here in the book, it says both sides have made use of him, but neither will shed a tear at his passing. The brave <laughs> companions did not fight in the Battle of Blackwater, yet they died there all the same. Mm. Yeah, I, I, I certainly don't shed a tear for Vargo Hood's position right now, but it is there is uh, an amount of detail that has gone into regarding his position and sort of why he cut off Jamie's hand. He's the worst. <laughs> Can we agree? The worst character 
in the entire series. Is and he didn't even make the him. show. There were plenty oh. of people. Well, he didn't make the show. That should be a supportive, a supportive. Well, he's a goof. He's kind of a goofy character anyway. There, there are so many men like him, though. I think he represents a ton of people. Like that statement that um, both sides have used him, but they won't shed a tear when he's gone. That's a hundred families mm-hmm. in Westeros that are useful for a period of time or at the right place at the right time to grab the certain keys, you know, captive or this, that, the other thing. But ultimately the families that are most in power are just using them. And I think for, to Bolton's credit, Bolton has grown. And over the course of, you know, the next little while will really take his whole family out from underneath the Starks, which is not hard to do because there's fewer and fewer of them every day. But Bolton is, is, you know, a Stark Bannerman, but he's managed to come out on top of the Stark's downfall. And I, I think that's, uh, it takes something, it takes a lot to do, I think, because he's, he's risen to, to, we know he has the, un, you know, he's risen to be this um, huge power player. And, and before he was just like, oh yeah, one of the Northmen, like the Starks, who are also very diminished. I think it's a good lesson of different levels of the game here because we're we're seeing that happen directly alongside the description of what's happened with Vargo Ho as he decided to tip his hat into the ring and, and try to play as well. He he may have started a lot later than these already established families and already established groups of men that could play their cards. Uh, someone like Varys has been working at what he's doing for a very long time. The same could be said right. for Littlefinger. But Vargo Ho started recently, and uh, Bruce admits that he has some wits about him, and he was able to kind of move things to his advantage. And eventually, mm-hmm. um, there is a, a plan where if he were the one to capture Jamie and to be married to a Karstark gal, then he would have some sort of claim, and he would have uh, a place that is greater than his now. And it's what he's being offered with Hall, but I think everyone knows that that's not necessarily going to work out, especially if Rob doesn't win. So that's kind of being pulled out from under him. So we see mm. the failure and we see the disdain and how he's basically just being raked off the table by Roos and this sentiment. But at the same time, Roos is doing like what you said, Eric. He is moving much forward uh, because he's been in it longer and he made the right decisions and he very much took advantage of someone like Vargo Hoat. Well, wasn't there a line to uh, related to Hoat? that you don't stay at the head of the brave companions if unless you kind of yeah, unless you show your worth exactly mm-hmm. so he was yeah. he was working and he made some moves but i think it was a little bit too late and his uh execution was sloppy he's done so he's, he chopped he's, off he's a hand up shit creek yeah he chopped off a paddle. hand yeah but roos and the whole reason jamie is going to end up getting home is stated here is that roos needs to make peace with with tywin Basically, he wants to know. He says, "You know, tell your father this was not my doing." Tell your father and, uh, I'm here, and I'm going to tell your father home. I'm here, and also uh, this was not. I had nothing to do with this, and uh, Jamie agrees. He says, "I'll sing, <laughs> I'll sing a song if I see my sister again." And what did you think about him uh, being referred to as a spider? They said his voice was spider his voice soft. Was spider soft, yeah. It's it just echoes of Varys and. Nothing will ever do it for me more with Roose Bolton than Catelyn pulling back his sleeve um, on the show, you know, and seeing the the mail that's there. Mm-hmm. It's it's he's he's a master. It's amplifying the fact that he's playing the game well, mm-hmm. and he's a creep. And he's a creep. 
How did you think of his treatment of Brienne at the end of the chapter? A little rough. A no. little yeah. bit rough. Yeah. A <laughs> little bit. He tells her, he's like, you're not going to King's Landing. Yeah. I'm sending you back with the with bloody members. The bl- yeah, brave companions. Where are you, my lady? I, would, I, would, I should worry less about the Starks and rather more about Sapphires. <laughs> Which I think he probably knows that the Sapphire thing is total horse shit. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah, he's smart enough. He's been educated yeah. enough yeah, to know like, that oh. Sapphire I always yeah. call it because of the water. Right. Yeah, uh, poor Brienne. Rough, rough yeah, I, I feel sorry for Brienne too. And at least we know that uh, Jamie's going to come back and save the day. Oh, right from the bear from Winterboo. Well, look, if Winterboo, the actor, is not the same <laughs> as the bear that he portrayed in that scene, Winterboo is a very accomplished. Um, Statement. Noble, noble bear. Yes, noble. Uh, he was yeah. in that movie from the '80s where he faced a pug, right? Was he um, <laughs> Ali, Ali and no, Izzy? Is he and Ali? In his younger guy. days, yes. But uh, when Roose Bolton is sitting there, he's talking about Rob, and this is where my opinion of him really started to change. Uh, when he says, "You know, won every battle while losing the phrase the Carstarks, Winterfell, and the North." A pity the wolf is so young. Boys of 16 always believe they are mortal and invincible. Mm-hmm. Uh, an older man would bend the knee, I think. Mm-hmm. After a war, there's always peace, and with peace, there are pardons. Well, let's let's entertain that for a moment. Because, do you, well, do you think that Roos is saying that Tywin would forgive Rob? Mm. No, no, him. I think, yeah, Roos is talking about himself. Yeah, absolutely. That he's he's like, hey, bases. I'm an old, I'm an older man, and I'm ready to bend the knee because Roose is technically a Northman, um, mm. sworn to the Starks and the Tullys. So he's he's trying to, I think, tell Jamie in these these underhanded ways, like, hey, please tell your dad that I had nothing to do with cutting off your hand, and I'm a really big fan of his, and I really <laughs> would like to like be on his side because I think he's gonna win this war. And Jamie even th- thinks that. Based on what's happened to him, if Cersei still holds Sansa and Arya, that they're going to be maimed, and that's going to be his fault yet again. Mm-hmm. Like he's going to have another thing on his conscience to deal with. That you know he's Kingslayer already. Now he's going to get the blame for anything that befalls them. But of course, he learns that Sansa has been married to Tyrion, so that protects her. And Arya apparently uh, is alive, according to Roose. Mm-hmm. Um, more to be learned there, I think, because there's no way that Roos would know that she's alive. Uh, so what the hell's happening with that? Mm. But, uh, <laughs> yeah. I feel like it's a it's a question of numbers, just like we see in the next chapter when the Martells ride in. It's not an accident in the manner in which they approach King's Landing. Yeah, the, this next chapter is magical. These, these Both of these chapters are, and I say this Magic. every time. But like these are all just seminal chapters in the whole telling of this story. Like all of these super important events happen in the middle of Storm of Swords, and it's it's so good. And it often I think gets overlooked because of the Red Wedding being at the end of this book and just like blowing everybody's minds. And it's kind of the big event that stands out. But when, especially when you're rereading it, the bath scene is enormous. Learning about the Kingslayer and the origin of that, and then the Tyrion chapter where he meets Oberyn Martell for the first time. Which is, of course, everybody's favorite romance relationship. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, you would never know from this book chapter that they're going to be bros. Yeah, that's true. They end on a spiky note. But one of my favorite things about Oberyn and Tyrion in this chapter is how incredibly well matched they are for each other. Like they are, they're both very, very smart guys, and they both have incredible family allegiance, and they match each other wit for wit. And during this, during this, they're like exchanging these little quips and these little bites. 
Um, and although they are pitted on two different sides of a conflict, they're equals in a lot of ways. Um, maybe not on the battlefield. That's probably where they 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 don't they come up they come up a little uneven. But I loved how how much they were a match for one another. Tyrion stomachs all of the things that Oberyn tells him when they're both riding to the to to King's Landing um, mm-hmm. on horseback. He doesn't like the guy necessarily he he wants to see how joffrey would offend him he wants to see him offended but in the end he resolves to i guess to be there to kind of guard oberon because i think there is some sort of re- there's some sort of regard where he's basically taking um oberon's joke he's trying to make him laugh he's glad when he finally gets oberon to laugh mm-hmm. and he kind of plays along with his his joke and says you better, you know, keep a whore by your side every minute because you're walking into a dangerous thing and you said you wanted to die with your hand on a breast. So it's like just keep a whore <laughs> so with you. It's so good. It's such a good it's, burn. It's really good, but it's just like cuz Oberyn said, "Oh yeah, I should do this in the I always want to die with a breast in my hand." And he's like, "Well, better keep a whore with you all by your side at all yeah. times." Yeah. Yeah, it's such well, a good like final parting line. It's very very yeah. right. Knowing that they're going to <laughs> yeah. meet again in the near future but i think just taking a step back uh number one props to pod absolutely uh, mm-hmm. i think we have to uh, give him his due here but mm-hmm. nine banners nine sigils yeah absolutely this line it should make you uh a little anxious i think as did Tyrion. nine of the greatest lords of dorne were coming up the king's road them or their heirs, and somehow Tyrion did not think they had come all this way just to see the dancing bear. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, Winterboo is an accomplished performer. And he's at Harrenhal. So. Oh, got quite a trek down yet. before he gets to the royal wedding. <laughs> I love the adaptation of this chapter. I feel like the, the the chapter itself, now that we finally got into it and we've finally been able to read it, uh, it, it flows so beautifully. We have so much humor and lightheartedness. We have the trio of Pod, we have Bronn, we have Tyrion uh, at the head of their host awaiting the head of another host. And they're going through banners. We have like uh, Bronn is uh, is describing what's on the banner, but in a very boring and, and awesome way. In a Bronn way. way. Yeah, he goes, okay, so... They're they're going through them. He's like, it's a pie with red and black slices, said Bronn. There's a gold hand in the middle. Then Pod guesses correctly. Then he's like, okay, a red chicken eating a snake looks like. And he's like, okay, we have this. It's a cockatrice. Wait, no, sorry. It's a a chicken. And so it's fun. And then we move on to the actual meeting with Prince Oberon. And then I feel like that conversation eventually molds into something much more serious. Mm -hmm. And it's laid out beautifully. And we get so much uh, information and... It's a great Tyrion chapter, but I feel like the way they captured it for the screen was was equally as good. I think that the choice to move uh, the conversation with Oberyn was interesting, but it allowed for the seriousness to kind of come out a little more serious than it would have been with Pod riding just behind and Braun, and it was so lighthearted before. You know what I mean? So you mean the story, yeah. the, like the "I will be your champion" scene in the show? No, the "I will tell your father I'm here" bit. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah. Which we don't get that line, unfortunately. Oh, we get uh, that line. <laughs> we get it nearly show, every episode. Um, what One of the things that I thought was really interesting is that even just by showing up with his retinue, Tyrion has delivered an insult to Oberyn and, and the Martell um, convoy. Just by being there with the people that he's there with, the, the, he got kind of a shitty draw for the the folks that were going to come and, and meet. Even the prince, if if it had been Prince Duran who'd, been, who'd shown up. Um, but Oberyn is no one to sneeze at either. And right. 
they they he knows it's he they like rattle off all the folks that are with him and he it says here after Tyrion is done with his he says the names had a nice ringing sound as Tyrion reeled them off but the bearers were nowhere near as distinguished nor formidable a company as those who accompany accompanied Prince Oberyn as both of them knew full well so they start off on a bad foot there mm-hmm. he's already he's already delivered an insult to Prince Oberyn and and his uh <laughs> His yeah, folks. But it's kind of okay because the Dornis were all like, fuck you, King's Landing anyway, and sending No, it's not okay. Not okay. I I, I I understand that they're here to to like kick ass and take names. I bet that's that's Oberon's like private um idea of what he's gonna get done. I don't know but, if it's that private to Tyrion. <laughs> but knows. even here, think about think about how smart Tywin Lannister is. Think about mm. even if he knew that Oberon was the one coming and not Prince Duran, like he he still plans for this to be the prince's reception committee, the like the the Martell prince should probably get a royal reception, and instead he gets an imp and a bunch of these smaller <laughs> lordlings. He gets Tyrion um, quizzing Podrick before he arrives. Yeah, but, you know, but it's- Tyrion Tyrion is more uh, diplomatic, and Tyrion is much better suited than Joffrey to deliver <laughs> any kind of welcome. Un- understood. It's true, but in spite of his stature, the fact of the matter remains that we're seeing it from Tyrion's perspective, and it, it takes us a bit to to realize that while we we are expecting something, and like Tyrion's noting how the nine of the strongest houses from the realm of Dorne are arriving, and this is clearly mm-hmm. a message. He is also a part of a very clear message from Tywin to them. Yes. At yes. the same time. But wouldn't the message be worse if it were Joffrey? Like, isn't Joffrey not sent specifically because he's not so, like soft-spoken and de- and delicate at all? I would not describe Tyrion Lannister as either of those things. But delicate? Eh. Hell no. And plus, Hell arriving, no. the king... It's carefully measured. Everything Tyrion does is measured. The king greeting you definitely says more than the king's imp greeting you. Even, even yeah. Tyrion says it himself in the second paragraph of this chapter. He says, Joffrey should have met the Dornish men himself. Like even even Tyrion knows that he's being sent as an insult. These are the great houses of Dorne that are arriving for your wedding, right? That's that's what I love about this chapter. It's part of your kingdom that you need to yeah. really think about. This is your introduction to the Martells, right? All the houses that have sworn allegiance to them. Maybe there's a few missing, but I think most of them are here, right? They said nine of the greatest lords yeah. ha- have come to to show themselves here in King's Landing, and and that's where I do agree uh, with. Zach and Kate that it's extremely disrespectful that what they receive as their welcoming party is Tyrion. Right. Look, here here's an extension of that same quote. So it says Joffrey should have met the Dornishman himself, he reflected, but he would have mucked it up, no doubt. I mean, there could have been a war on those hills outside of King's Landing if Joffrey had said one, you know, negative thing, which he is sure to do because Joffrey's just the worst. Well, I think it's fortunate that it was Oberyn who was there because the interaction between the two of them it just worked extremely well mm-hmm. and you know they they liked the back and forth uh, between each other there's no question i mean oberin for as serious as he is at times is also having fun i mean he cracks a few jokes he's smiling but there's greater intent behind his his reason you know him being here and the things that he says and um i just i I love like really the first couple pages of this chapter though because you're introduced um to the Martells, the bannermen that are sworn to them, as well as the different types of um Dornishmen and women. Uh you know, 
George R. R. Martin spent a long time, I think, kind of thinking through this, and you know, you get background on the Dornish, and you know, kind of where they're descended from, um, the three kinds of Dornish men and women, right? Salty, Sandy, Sandy Stony. and Stony, uh, mm-hmm. and I think you know, Kate brought up the point earlier how a lot of the chapters in Storm of Swords are pivotal. You know, we're kind of nearing the halfway point of the book. And here we are, uh, you know, three books into the series. Now we're finally meeting uh, House Martell. It's part of what made the chapter feel so fresh to me because I feel like the book is 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 shifting in a lot of different ways. This is just a different kind the world of story is expanding. That's being yeah. told exactly, and we're learning we're learning key information about people that you don't feel like are going to be insignificant. Like I feel, I understand how the Red Viper of Dorne, Oberyn Martell, would become someone that would rise to the ranks of someone's favorite character, or at least rise to the ranks of some character that people care about, because in this chapter, he just fits. It just makes sense. Like, we, we're we told everything about him. Tyrion builds him up so much in his interior monologue, and I think that has a lot to do with the respect that he's treated. But um, just Dorne itself is fleshed out, and we learn so much down to their skin color, down to the way their hair flows, and down to the types of armor that adorn their bodies as they ride in. It's setting up what is to come, and it's very clear from this chapter. So it just makes it extra important in our minds, and I think that uh, this conversation could have only happened with this kind of reception. I don't think that Oberyn Martell would have said these exact things if Tywin would have been the person officiating but I think that for the sake of the story, it's just what works out and it, it's moving stuff forward in an interesting way. Yeah, no question. There's a joke at the beginning of this chapter and I've thought about it a lot and I can't quite figure out how it's supposed to be insulting. But Joffrey's little jest <laughs> that he learns, it says, how many Dornishmen does it take to shoe a horse? Nine, one to do the shoeing and eight to lift the horse up. Does that mean that Dornishmen are weak or that their horses are super fat? <laughs> <laughs> I can't decide. I think it means that they're weak. <laughs> and why do you have to, you don't have to lift the horse up? Too much time around the Tyrells. You just lift the the foot of the horse up right. to shoe the horse. You don't have to lift right. the whole horse up. So maybe he's saying that they're stupid. Like they have to, they think they have to lift the whole horse up to shoe. Uh, yeah, one I foot? think it's, it's kind of like Polish jokes. That's that's what it reminded me of. Right? You've, I'm sure everybody here has heard. You know, Polish jokes, right? I like mean, they're not like it. Tell us. It's like any kind of racist joke. I'm, I'm right. Well, yeah. It's more of a general jibe, I think. I think he's just saying, well, there's a lot of different conclusions you could draw from this one, and they all apply. Yeah. Well, I, Race I also think that, you know, it shows the influence that the Tyrells are having on Joffrey. You know, there's no love loss between the Tyrells and the Martells, right? Mm-hmm. And so, I, and that's even made clear in this chapter even though we got some more insight obviously into what happened to willis mm, um, yeah and that really the two uh oberon and and willis have have kind of in their own way made peace yeah uh, it sounds like they're buds happened yeah <laughs> they write yeah, each they other send emails to each yeah, other yeah, they're they're writing about like hawks christmas and dogs cards and they yeah, reply yeah. each other yeah, yeah. exactly oberon nimeros martel how about the fact that we learn in this chapter that Oberyn uh, is notorious for fighting with poison swords. You know that is something yeah. that I'm so glad you. I'm so glad you mentioned that. It's kind of like that joke, right? That Dornishmen are weak because poison is seen as a woman's weapon. I think I think swords are generally considered to be men men's weapons or like but pikes laced with or poison. Say. Yeah, sure. I mean, I think when they say poison is a woman's weapon, they're talking about like poisoning someone's food or their wine 
but it's like, still done secretively. I mean, nobody knew that the that Oberyn's blade in that tourney was laced with poison until after a while, the you know his opponent stopped or never healed from his. Wound. I don't necessarily think of it as being weak, though, because you know. Tyrion oh, I don't think it's weak. To, I, I don't. I don't agree that it's weak. Tyrion goes on to really chronicle Oberyn. And, and and his history and, and what has been learned about him, the places that he's traveled, the things that he's learned, and to think that when he did this at the age of 16, he's now well into his 40s, what possible you know, knowledge has he gained in the ways of killing people um, oh, yeah. in these you know, last 20, 30 years? I mean, it's... It's pretty scary. Can we just build this guy up for a second? Yeah. It says, The boy of 16 was a man past 40 now, and his legend had grown a deal darker. He had traveled in the free cities, learning the poisoner's trade, and perhaps arts darker still, if rumors could be believed. He had studied at the Citadel, going so far as to forge six links of a maester's chain before he grew bored. So I feel like he is a video game character that people are spending a lot of time on and leveling up a lot of different things. It goes on to say, He had soldiered in the disputed lands across the narrow sea, riding with his second sons for a time before forming his own company. His tourneys, his battles, his duels, his horses, his carnality. It was said that he bedded men and women both, and he had begotten bastard girls all over Dorne. The Sand Snakes, men called his daughters. So far as Tyrion had heard, Prince Oberyn had never fathered a son. Imagine having a group of bastard children that had their own club name. (laughs) (laughs) It's so cool. Right, snakes. and they're yeah. just like we're the. There's sand like a snakes. bunch of like fierce battle daughters. Yes, so cool. That is beyond awesome. And this is the guy that that Tyrion is expected to ride beside and bandy about royal words with. Essentially, I feel like for the enormity of the situation, he handled it quite well, considering, especially with all of the shade that Oberyn brought with him, which was justified. I just feel like it could have gone a lot worse. And the Martells have a lot to stand on. This is going to be interesting. I, it's clear that Oberyn is pissed at the Lannisters and specifically at Tywin. But he does go out of his way to tell Tyrion his whole, you thought you were going to be a monster. You turned out to be super normal mm-hmm. story, which is, is sweet even in this concept. Much sweeter in the show, obviously, because Tyrion's crying when he's saying It's it, the but, I will be your champion. Yeah, uh, I will be your champion. Um, scene. But it's it's so nice to to see that scene in this context as well, because it's very casual. They're just riding, riding their horses back into King's Landing and casually having this introductory conversation. And it's almost like Oberyn is giving him the, the impression that I'm pissed at the Lannisters, but you're cool. And I'm a good yeah. guy. Yeah. And I'm, I'm, I'm actually a pretty good guy. I am here to fuck shit up, but it's not because of you. He didn't have to tell that story. He didn't no. have to make Tyrion feel better about himself at all, but he did. He balanced out a lot of the bad. At the same time, you could look at it as him telling this story to also demean Tyrion in, in a way. You know, that there was this story about him that has kind of been chronicled throughout Westeros. Yeah, FYI, everybody near you and around you has hated you since the day you were born, which you already know. But I'm going to tell you this story of how Tyrion was like, so much bigger than the king, or how Tywin was so much bigger than the king and had to be punished by the gods, which you're, you're God's punishment for, for your father going above the king in power and in um, intelligence and in success. Is it not a matter of respect, though, that Oberyn gave him 
enough mental leeway to think, you know, we can talk about the fact that you're an imp. Between us, we can both understand that it happened, it's a thing, and it would be more disrespectful to you to pretend that that didn't exist. So by telling a story that was encroaching so much on that sort of sensitive issue, even though it's clearly public and clearly a thing, and then his twist off of that story being a positive spin, which was, I didn't think you were that weird. Your sister was kind of mean, and we kind of wanted her to all stop anyway. I feel right. like it put a better edge onto it. There's this whole passage that I think is really sweet. Again, stuff that Oberyn didn't need to say, but was establishing this positive rapport with Tyrion. He says, Aaliyah even made the noise that young girls make at the sight of infants. I'm sure you've mm-hmm. heard it. The same noise they make over cute kittens and playful puppies, which is, aww. I believe she wanted to nurse you herself, ugly as you were. When I commented that you seemed a poor sort of monster, your sister said, he killed my mother and twisted your little cock so hard, I thought she would like to pull it off. You shrieked, but it was only when your brother Jamie said, leave him be, you're hurting him, that Cersei let go of you. So even as a little baby, Jamie was looking out for Tyrion, which I think is a really cool thing. Tyrion clearly didn't know that. He was a baby at the time. So for Oberyn to be like, yeah, your brother's been standing up for you against your awful sister forever. And my sister thought you were adorable. Like, it's just all very heartwarming things for Tyrion to hear this person, although he may be dead to it at this point. He's he's always been called a monster his whole life. And this man is coming up to him being like, you're not really a monster. So get over that. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to I'm going to treat you like a normal it person. You getting weirded out. Yeah. You're just a guy. I'm just a guy and I'm here for some business. All right, you guys changed my mind. <laughs> no, I I can see. I totally see where you're coming from and even Tyrion, he's so mistrustful of anyone bringing up his imp status that he's like, Ew, is he why is he telling me this? Is he just trying to twist my cock too? Like what's what's going on? Yeah. Um oh. so he's he's mistrustful of it as well, but I think Oberyn is trying to put them on like I'm not going to treat you any different because you look weird because you're not weird. And so I'm going to hold you as responsible for shit as you were are responsible for. I'm going to treat you like a, a grown ass man and not a monster. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think the story even starts out that way. Um, you know, when he mentions that they had met before, but you know, further along, I think there is a level of respect between the two of them. Mm-hmm. You know, he seems to um, think that Tyrion has grown up to be not such a bad guy. And at least in comparison to the rest of the Lannisters. And, um, uh, I think that uh, it's cool that we get this backstory that uh, Oberyn and Ilya had spent time at Casterly Rock with Jamie and Cersei and Tyrion and Tywin. And, uh, you know, these families are so interconnected and this world, as we mentioned earlier, is continuously expanding. Um, but the reality is it had it's been that wide for such a long time. It's just that now we're getting exposed to it and we're getting to see just how integrated all these families really are. Yeah, I love this chapter. Oberyn is here with a purpose. He states it many times. He talks about killing the mountain. Mm-hmm. Um, he talks about justice uh, for Elia and her children. Uh, and uh, clearly he's also here uh, for Tywin. And uh, you know, there's that paragraph uh, where Tyrion kind of tells Oberyn, look, you you have uh, not the numbers to match what we have here, and I don't think it really intimidated him at the end of the day, though. No, I don't think so either. It was the the depth of their previous conversation that I think allowed them to speak so upfront with each other about such sharp topics without 
getting at blows or without yelling or without causing altogether too much drama. I felt like they had reached a point where they could mention how many men were here and how many men they had, comparatively speaking. Oberon is able to to respond to that entire um, paragraph, uh, mentioning the numbers of people there that they have to fight in King's Landing. He just gives a shrug. And he's like, yeah, you know, things happen, basically. Like, if, mm-hmm. if it blows, or should roses seek to hinder me, I'll gladly trample them underfoot. And then... Right. It's just, it's int- I love it. He basically calls Loris Renly's little bitch. Renly's little Rose. Oh, Rose, I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, I think it's a great introduction to Oberyn as a character. And, uh, you know, in the in the show, obviously, uh, Oberyn is already off in the brothels, uh, enjoying himself. He doesn't meet Tyrion on the King's Road. I did have one question for you guys, which was, uh, well, it's not, it's kind of rhetorical, but since this conversation this story about when Tyrion was a baby was delivered in the show as the i will be your champion scene i wonder what kind of conversation takes place between oberon and Tyrion in the book when he agrees to be his champion i wonder if there's an equally winning uh story or line of dialogue we will have to wait and see share so i I am looking forward to that it's gonna be fun there was a quote here i wanted to ask you guys about because uh, he talks about himself and uh, Alaria and says, We have never shared a beautiful blonde woman, however. And Alaria is curious. Do you know of such a creature? And I, I couldn't help but think he was referring to Cersei. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think so too. I think that's, that's totally fair. We've come for Cersei. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's what I thought of. I mean, he could be talking about, you know, one of... Uh, Ali Yaya's right. uh, mm-hmm. right. famous women, but uh, mm-hmm. I thought it was a direct reference to Cersei. Well, <laughs> either way, Tyrion leaves leaves Oberyn with the promise of a few different tips, and I feel like he gave him some valuable <laughs> learned advice. There's probably not many people in King's Landing that could give someone of his noblesse of Oberyn Martell uh, better advice when it comes to where to go for the brothling. So, yeah, Tyrion gives his official stamp of approval to Shatayas on the Street of Silk. <laughs> To all of you wondering at home. Yes. Shatayas being a little finger establishment, right? Mm. Aren't they all? Aren't they all? <laughs> Shall we give owns, my friends? Yes. Okay, so Rob owns. Jamie owns? Jamie. Jamie. No, sorry. 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 <laughs> There's not even any Rob chapters. Uh, you know where my mind is. Rob Stark, as usual. <laughs> uh, my own for this chapter goes to Jamie Lannister. I'm sorry, but his story about why he became the Kingslayer to save all of King's Landing, like, that's like half a million people's lives that he saved. So right on, Jamie Lannister. I've a surprising revelation about you and made my respect for you go up a tick. Try not to kill any more kids though. Mathematically speaking, that's a great own by lots of standards. Yeah. That's a lot Thank of lives. You. My own goes to Jamie as well. Uh, <laughs> it's a, during the exchange when they're talking about um, you know, who'll pay the most for his safe return and or on the flip side of that who would pay the most for his head and um Bruce Bolton says 10,000 dragons is a formidable sum of course there is Lord Karstark's offer to consider as well he promises the hand of his daughter to the man who brings him your head and Jamie says leave it to your goat to get it backward <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Uh, my own goes to Jamie as well. I thought that his sharp, quick-witted humor uh, in the midst of what was happening uh, with his good friend Kyburn was hilarious. It says, Kyburn had brought a flask as well. 
What is it? Jamie demanded when the chainless maester pressed him to drink. Licorice steeped in vinegar with honey and cloves. It will give you some strength and clear your head. He says, bring me the potion that grows new hands. That's the one I want. So, <laughs> not Smart man. He also calls him the bloody maester at one point. Well, now we know that I try not to give my own to the point of view character of any chapter. You did. And this chapter will be no different. You did. I'm not. I'm not going. I'm not going to allow that space to be filled out on Bingu. It would be all four of us. I know. I know. Solidarity. No. If you had chosen another character that had owned, and we all agreed he owned, that would be one thing. My own goes to Hippocrates, which is Roose Bolton's choice drink for mm. his dinner. And I looked it up because I didn't know what the hell it was. It turns out it's wine flavored with spices. And so in that case, it's something that Bolton did not offer Jamie or Brienne. He offered red or white. And Brienne said water, and Jamie took the red, but Bolton got this spiced wine special, mm. so must be pretty special if he keeps it all to himself. So own to Hippocrats and not to Jamie. Mm. I like that. Way but I like it up for us. Yeah. All right. Uh, how about for uh, Tyrion? Ooh, um, I'm gonna give. Jack I'm gonna give my own to Podrick. Mm. Yep. <laughs> Me too. Yep. Yep. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> there, we had our consensus. Okay, there. good. Thank you. <laughs> Brian yeah. is like Brian is like uh, yellow balls in, in, in pot. Oh. Like, you mean those are lemons? <laughs> lemons, you idiot. Lemons, <laughs> lemons. Yellow balls. On to Patrick Payne. I don't think. Okay, mm-hmm. four ways. He, nine houses, and you only read about that kind of shit in a book. But <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, he, it reminded me of um, when Bran uh, was learning. A lot of the house sigils, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, Podrick just uh, proved his worth. I wonder what kind of gift he'll be receiving from Tyrion. <laughs> Tyrion's going to handcraft him a gift. I wonder I what like it's going to be. Also, yeah. honorable own to the salty Dornishmen because they're very salty. Uh, yeah, it's so salty. It's bad like for that. your heart. Shall we go to the Twitter? Mm-hmm. Let's dip in to see what the people at home have been saying. First one here is from Gary Manis, who says, "Imitating repeating a classic line may cause a loss in luster." But most aren't done as masterfully. And uh, he tagged me, and it's appropriate for this chapter, even though the line wasn't said, it was said in the show. Tell your father I'm here. <laughs> there you go, the first time of 2015. It is, it is masterful. Check it off on your bingo card. Yeah. Our next own via Twitter comes from Ariana Quinones, Ariana. who says, Own to Elia for being the only person in Seven Kingdoms to think baby Tyrion was cute as a kitten. Aww. <laughs> Nicholas Lang says, Own to Roose Bolton for just being who he is. Cold and a little mysterious, like he always knows something he's not telling. Mm. Uh, and of course, Tyrion himself for how he talks with and thinks about Oberyn. Like yeah. us. <laughs> two parts Rye wrote in to us on Twitter. This is two parts Rye. He says, pretty sure that everyone will be owning Brienne's bush. Not like that. In a good way. <laughs> not what I meant. Fuck it. No! <laughs> what did he possibly mean? Nope. Yeah, no I don't know what he means or she means. He also Sorry. says to Benioff and Weiss and Pedro Pascal for turning Oberon's, <laughs> Oberon's meaning of baby Tyrion from insult to tenderness. I completely agree. So sweet. Much more succinct than how yes. I said it. Completely. Uh, Susan Stacy writes in and says, uh, for chapter 38, it's always good when you get the numbers, right? Always good. Always good. Uh, Oberon Martell, the Red Viper, owns Tyrion with an introduction to die for. Mm-hmm. Welcome the Martell story. Mm-hmm. Bring it. Uh, and uh, for chapter 37, Jamie knows he owns his honor no matter what anyone else thinks of him. He does. Yeah. 
Simon Amundsen says, own two roos for taking the spot of my favorite villain in A Song of Ice and Fire. Mm. And Tyrion owns for trying to keep calm in the forceful Oberyn's presence. He remained calm. It rhymes with Beric says, my own goes to Tyrion's tiny pink cock for surviving Cersei's twist. Hashtag what doesn't kill you. Hashtag but rises again harder and stronger. <laughs> uh, Travis Cole writes into us. He says, reading The Hedge Knight now. Love the podcast. It's the best ever. Seriously, that shit's awesome. Hashtag camel balls. <laughs> That's funny. That reminds me of Duncan Egg, though. The Hedge Knight, we read that. And couldn't Egg uh, name the sigils as well? Or was it mm-hmm. Dunk? One of those two egg was also ex- extra. Yeah. I think it was Egg because yeah, was he egg. was secretly a target. Oh, yeah, and he, was, he, he was secretly educated properly. Right. Yeah. There was a terrific encyclopedia of um, all of the house sigils at the end of those yes. graphic novels. Mm-hmm. I used to just pour over those yep. so oh. much. We also had a bunch of owns scrolled on our wall uh, on Facebook. Uh, the first from Pamela Carrion. She says, uh, loved Onion Blossom, referring to our last week's episode. So good to hear Goo's voices again. Been away for two months for surgery. Well, uh, hopefully us. you're feeling better, yes. uh, Pamela. Uh, Happy New Year. Great singing. Eric, Woo. Kate is so astute about cats ignoring her better instincts because people are being dumb. <laughs> uh, Love the chicken egg conversation. What came first, the plots or the leeches? <laughs> Going to go eat an email now. Uh, love, Pamela. And, uh, she also wrote in for Jamie. Uh, own to Micah. You stated earlier how valuable the rereading can be. I completely missed on first read that Jamie totally saved King's Landing by not only killing Eris, uh, but the Hand and Pyromancers as well. Uh, Ned should have high-fived Jamie and taken him under his wing, kind of like Tyrion taking Pod under his wing. Oh, yeah, own to Tyrion for being so kind to Pod. <laughs> oh, nice. Thank you, Pamela. Ivana Shvetanovic says, Roos Bolton owned Walder Frey by marrying the fattest Frey daughter he could find, making the most of her dowry. And it looks like Roos is going to own Vargo Holt and some other people as well soon. Roos Bolton owns everybody in this chapter. The best line belongs to Jamie, though. This is from Roos. Of course, there is Lord Karstark's offer to consider as well. He promises the hand of his daughter to the man who brings him your head. Jamie says, leave it to your goat to get it backward. Yvonne and I are on the same page there. For Tyrion's chapter, she says, great verbal sparring between Oberyn and Tyrion. Oberyn owns a lot, but Tyrion's replies are often just as good. I give them both a known for unintentionally saying something that will prove prophetic. All that, said Prince <laughs> Oberyn, and your father's fall as well? Lord Tywin has made himself greater than King Eris. This is horrible. I heard one begging brother preach, but only a god is meant to stand above a king. You are his curse, a punishment sent by the gods to teach him that he was no better than any other man. I try, but he refuses to learn. Tyrion gave a sigh. Sorry, guys. <laughs> that was good. It's okay, Zach. Over and approves. So long. I think we should overdub your reading the Red Viper over mine. Mine is terrible. <laughs> Yours is awesome. Yeah. Um, and she also went on to make a re- recommendation about our next episode, which maybe we'll take into consideration. Maybe the Arya Br- Bran and John chapters. Uh, Bran and John's go together. So uh, of course uh, we'll take a look into that. Yeah. Because I think I know which chapters they are and. Uh, it might make sense to do that. We'll see. Thank you. Marion Schwellinger says, My Jamie Owen goes to hygiene, which never seems to be a high priority in Westeros, and my Tyrion Owen goes to Pod for knowing his Dornish sigils. Yeah. Hell I like yeah. that. 
Mm-hmm. Well, we heard from Jeff Lightfoot, who said Tyrion owned to House Blackmont for having what is possibly a creepier sigil than the Boltons. A vulture <laughs> with a baby in its, in its talons. I want a baby with a vulture in its talons. That would be creepier. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, my God. So, a vulture with a baby in its talons. What the crap? And also, <laughs> Jamie Chapter owned to Tyrion for finding a use for all that wildfire. Mm-hmm. That's true. That's, yeah. yeah. There, there you go. go. Not too bad. Uh, Cat Jerome, my own for the Jamie Chapter, goes to Roos and his prunes. My own for the Tyrion Chapter goes to Pedro Pascal for being such vibrancy and character to his character. I can't help but hear his voice as I read. Mm-hmm. That's true. I think when I first read this, Oberyn, Oberyn, of course, looked nothing like Pedro Pascal. He was like, he was a lot greasier. I, I like to think of him as <laughs> like having like a really grease, greasy, long black hair and a ponytail for some reason is how I, I pictured him. Side pony. And like, like very slender and willowy. Um, Pedro, mm-hmm. Pedro was more, more built, I think, than, than my Oberyn was. Um, and I always thought of Oberyn as like this sort of, like very sinister character, sneakily trying to get away with things, probably because partially because he's called the Red Viper. But Pedro remade that character in my mind. Margot says, Jamie's reason for owning the Mad King finally becomes clear. Oh, it's true. And it does. Transitioning away from owns for a second, Angie wrote in to say, Hey, Goo, I finally caught up on all the podcasts and I'm so pumped to start reading along and giving owns. Huzzah. 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 Yes, you guys are the best podcast. Kate, please never stop laughing. Please. Micah. Your yes, Sam and Oberyn impressions are perfect. <laughs> Zach's Grandmeister Picel impression as well. And Eric's Theon obsession is hilarious. Listening to your podcast always puts a smile on my face. Aw, thank you. And uh, we also heard from Chad who says, reading and listening to your wonderful podcast while vacationing in Mexico. Great picture there of a storm of swords with a... Uh, cigar. Uh, yeah. A domestic beer and a cigar on top of his book yes. on the beach. So, Glad wow. to hear we're listened to in the country of Mexico. Wow, that's excellent. Also got some emails here, uh, which uh, you can all reach us, contact at gameofowns.com. The first from Ross. Of House Aldridge. Yes, Eric, take it away. Take it okay, away, Aaron. To my dear Goo hosts, longtime listener, first-time poster, I, could ju- I just couldn't resist writing in for the Red Viper's first appearance. My own for the Jamie chapter goes to Kyburn for managing to nurse Jamie back to good health in this medieval age. Quote, True. Jamie felt 109 years old, which was a deal better than he had been feeling when he came to Harrenhal. Mm-hmm. End quote. <laughs> My own for the Tyrion chapter will, of course, go to the legendary Oberyn Martell. Quote, an old Septon once claimed I was living proof of the goodness of the gods. Why, if the gods were cruels, they would have made me my mother's firstborn, and Doran her third. I am a bloodthirsty man, you see, and it is me you must contend with now, not my patient, prudent, and gouty brother. That was terrible. Regards your biggest Australian <laughs> You became fan. Uh, American at the very Ross end of that. Ross of House <laughs> Aldrich. I was, uh, what was I channeling towards the end there? Uh, I don't know. A, a very bad... Um, <laughs> Oh, what's his face? Uh, emergency medical hologram from Voyager is what it felt like to me. Oh, geez. Robert Picardo. Thank you, Robert Picardo. <laughs> and uh, we also heard from Christina Klein. I will read Christina Klein's own. Yeah, you will. She says, Jamie, I mean, seriously, who doesn't love this? Really, I would love to hear someone's explanation for not liking this chapter. Boom. <laughs> his subconscious owns him as his story spills out to Brienne against his will, and you can see that she has softened toward him with the truth of his deeds. 
Tyrion. Oh. Oberyn Martell for being so adventurously amorous, dashingly oh. handsome, and dangerously learned. But even a <laughs> mental giant like Tyrion is mildly flummoxed by how to handle his presence at court. Mm-hmm. Oberyn. A lot of great owns. Yeah, I mean, yeah good owns from this time. Thanks, guys. All different uh, places. We got them Twitter, Facebook, which you can, uh, of course, find us at Game of Owns on Twitter, facebook.com slash Game of Owns, and then. Email contact at gameofowns.com. But there's one particular tweet uh, we got from Phyllis Ashley. It has to be read because <laughs> it, it's amazing. Kate, I, I'll let you choose which part you want to read. I'll be, I'll be the green. You'll be the green. Who's going to take yeah. the, um, the other part? I don't really know what's happening here, so I'll take the other part. Okay. So, uh, of course, uh, Zach sent out these great uh, Game of Thrones prizes uh, from our contest, or, uh, or I should say late last year. Um, and, uh, we mentioned sparkles and confetti and a lot of rainbows. Oh, that's what this other things. (laughs) Here's the tweet. And then I'm going to let Eric and Kate read it. (laughs) Uh, Phyllis, Phyllis says, uh, finally got my poster to some hilarity on my mother's part. I asked her to open it. She was so pissed. (laughs) And here's the, uh, the screenshot, uh, that she tweeted with the text messages. Mm -hmm. Okay. I guess I'm the, I guess I'm the mother. Uh, Babe, I got stars and sparkles all over the place. I'm going to kill you, really. It's too nice. You and your great ideas. How was I supposed to know? Call me. Did you know that was going to happen, you little witch? No! Did you know that was going to happen, happen you, little you little witch? You little witch. <laughs> wow. You Phyllis, little you're, witch you're... who I carried for nine months and gave birth to. Hopefully little witch is like an affectionate term for Phyllis. Uh, yeah. I'm glad that that happened. <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much for writing in everybody this is wonderful yes. wonderful times yes we laughed hello, we cried we laughed uh, hello more. to new listener katie stubbs as well who wrote in to say that she's listening through our backlog and just got into the podcast yay hello, katie. Welcome, katie. Hello, katie welcome katie so one other way that you can get in touch with our show as many listeners have at least here in the u.s 295 customer reviews on itunes mm. how about that Customers. I don't know how many of them are five stars. All of them should be. Because it is the month of what, January? Well, I will say this. We do have 534 uh, five-star ratings, so you don't have to write a review. You can still rate us, but uh, it is encouraged that you do both. Uh, it is the year 2015. <sighs> it is the month of January. Nothing less than five stars is acceptable. Uh, just like our good friend, my dog is named Scarlet. <laughs> 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 who says uh, as demanded here are your well-deserved five stars thank you for making this podcast so great Welcome. in addition you, to my dog's name scarlet we heard from joffrey the just who says five out of five golden joffreys great podcast can't wait to discuss the joffrey point of views on next week's podcast thank you joffrey <laughs> the just for your review that's very kind. And uh, one other thing that's new in 2015, a new episode of To His Company. That's true. A uh, podcast that I make with our good friend Christian Nairn, a.k.a. the gentleman who plays Hodor on the HBO series. Bingo. Oh, that, that we, we released an episode of our podcast. So just go to tohis.co and listen to it if you'd like. So please enjoy. Yeah. And as Kate mentioned, next week, Arya and Bran, we, we spend some time with the Starks after spending this week with the Lannisters. So uh, I'm looking forward to it. This book's just going to keep getting better and better. A uh, lot more information, a lot of new things to learn. I'm excited. 
Me too. It's good. 2015 is exciting right now. We're glad that all of you are here with us and still moving forward now that we have a, a cemented release date for the new season. It's going to start getting even more exciting as these weeks progress. Won't you come with us? Come with Thanks us. Thanks for listening to our podcast, Lame of Thrones. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>